Jesus appears to the disciples. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. Michael, very much for reading. Uh, welcome to you if you've uh, joined us since we started. Let's say a prayer before we come to um, God's Word together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the joy and the privilege of being able to gather together this Tuesday lunchtime to come here and to hear your Word to us. We pray that you would open your Word to our hearts and our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, if you thought we were never going to get to the end of this series, this is the end. This is the end of our uh, series of uh, Meals with Jesus in Luke's Gospel. And like last week's meal, it, uh, it takes place um, with the resurrected Jesus. And uh, if you were here last week, you'll remember there were two disciples of Jesus who met him on the road to Emmaus and then shared a meal with him. And once that happens, they both immediately, they do an about turn and go straight back to um, Jerusalem again to share this news with um, the other, the 11 disciples. And those 11 disciples report that, oh, well, yeah, Peter's actually seen the risen Jesus that day as well. Uh, and they're all just having this massive kind of, <laughs> Um, get together back in Jerusalem and sharing the momentous news that they've um, got. And in verse 36, uh, where we pick up, they, you can see they've barely finished report, doing all this reporting back when Jesus then appears again right in the midst of them. And it's in these verses that follow, verses 36 to 49, 
I, I want to focus really on just one main point, which I think is the main emphasis of this section, and that's this, that the resurrection of Jesus was physical. The resurrection of Jesus was physical. Verse 37 is interesting. Here are these disciples just uh, beginning to come to terms with the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead in some way. But you can see that at this stage they're not really sure well what way. Um, they, they think that perhaps they're seeing his, his spirit, perhaps, seeing a ghost. They're not yet convinced that Jesus is actually physically risen from the dead. And this is what Jesus now goes on to kind of proving to them next. First, he points them to his hands and his feet twice in verses 39 and 40. Why his hands and feet in particular? Well, I think it must be that he's pointing them to the the, the crucifixion marks uh, in his hands and his feet to show that it's really me. I was the one who was crucified and there are still still the marks here. And he says, touch me, because a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. And he doesn't stop there, he goes even further to to try and prove this to them. In verse 41, he asks for a piece of cooked fish to eat, and then eats it there, right in front of them. There's such an emphasis on the physical here. Jesus and Luke wants us to be in no doubt that Jesus physically rose from the dead. And I wanted to spend the remainder of our time just thinking, well, what does that actually mean for us now? Well, two things just at the beginning, what it can't mean for us now. The first thing is, it, the, the, this, um, this account can't be fictional. If the Gospel writers were setting out to write convincing fictional uh, accounts of Jesus living on after his death, they wouldn't have made his resurrection physical like this. Now, the simple reason for this is there was absolutely no expectation uh, in Judaism of uh, the Messiah rising physically from the dead in the middle of history. In Jewish thought, the only resurrection expectation there was was a, a general resurrection of all believers in God at the very end of history. If you were a Jewish follower of Jesus, seeking to persuade your fellow Israelites that Jesus was the true Messiah, you simply wouldn't have described him as being physically resurrected. It just would have made no sense at all. Furthermore, in, in Daniel chapter 12, which does, it describes this general resurrection of all believers at the end of time, Resurrected people are described in this um, an extraordinary, glorious way, shining like stars, in sort of otherworldly kind of terms. So again, if a writer of the time is going to make up something about Jesus being resurrected, it would have worked best at least to make it consistent with what Daniel had said about shining like stars, etc., etc., these glorious predictions. But in contrast, look at this account of Luke. It's so mun- it's, it's just so mundane and sort of normal. Jesus showing them his hands and his feet. It's so sort of physical, eating a piece of fish. It doesn't, it doesn't, have, the, it doesn't have the feel of a kind of a vision literature or, or legends. It's just very sort of ordinary reporting. And I think the only plausible explanation for these accounts why the Jewish disciples of Jesus went around claiming that he physically rose from the the dead 
is because they were, for- they were forced by the facts to have to say that he um, had physically risen. They'd seen him, they'd touched him, they'd heard him. So these gospel accounts are not fictional in character. They're claiming a physical and a historical resurrection. So either, we've got two choices really, we either believe in the evidence and think that's good, or you have to say, no, I'm sorry, but the evidence is insufficient for me to believe. You can't just say it's a fictional account. If Jesus was physically raised from dead, here's another thing that um, his resurrection can't mean. It can't mean that it was somehow merely symbolic. Because uh, some have sought to explain Jesus' resurrection in this way. It didn't actually happen physically, but it's nonetheless a really powerful uh, symbol of the kind of life that Jesus inspires us to live now. So, for example, his resurrection is... Um, symbolic inspiration that hope springs eternal out of the very worst of situations in our lives. Or that Jesus' example of loving self-sacrifice lives on somehow in our hearts so we can copy him. But again, this just doesn't fit with the details of these narratives. If Jesus' resurrection is symbolic, then please will someone help me to understand what the symbolic message is of Jesus eating a piece of fish. Is it perhaps that we should all eat healthy, non-fatty foods? Is that the key takeaway message of the resurrection of Jesus? Perhaps the church has been missing out on this message for the last 2,000 years. Well, I don't think so. The evidence uh, that Luke records of, of this physical resurrection means the account can't be fictional, it can't be merely symbolic. But more positively, what does it mean uh, for us today, this physical resurrection? Well, the first thing is, it's proof that our sins are paid for. Uh, Verse 47, Jesus tells them that this is the key message they are now to take into the whole world, that there's actually forgiveness of sins for all who are prepared to ask for it. How does this work? Well, the price of sin, uh, according to the Bible, is death and separation from God. And as Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was paying that price in our place. Jürgen Klopp, the legendary and soon to be much missed manager of Liverpool Football Club, said this about the death of Jesus uh, in an interview. In the end of his life, Jesus took all the sins on himself and was nailed on a cross. This was the greatest act that has ever been achieved because it changed everything. We don't have to pay for our sins and this is a huge comfort. Well said, Jürgen. Jesus' resurrection life, it proves that these sins are being paid for because death couldn't hold him if that's the price for sin. The resurrection of Jesus, if you like, is uh, it's like a great big receipt that God gives us in, in history. When we trust in him for forgiveness, and the receipt says on it, paid in full. It's like God's stamp in history, paid in full. So, have, have you got that receipt this Tuesday lunchtime? It's a pretty important receipt to have. 
It means our, our, our sins are paid for. That's the first thing. Secondly, it does actually mean we have a real hope, a real hope in the face of our own death. And so many of us now in the secular West, we've still got this uh, unavoidable human longing for life to continue after this life. But also at the same time, we don't think we've got any grounds for actually believing it. Here's Dame Judy Dench in a Times interview last October, uh, where she, she said that uh, Shakespeare's sonnet 60 um, makes her feel uncomfortable about death. And she recited the line, like as the waves make towards the pebbled shore, so do our minutes hasten to their end. And in response, she said, no thanks, not if it's all the same to you. Or David Hockney in a recent interview who said, I live in the now. It's the now that's eternal, isn't it? Now, I think these two national treasures speak for many of us now who, in the face of death, just try and stay busy and avoid facing the reality. But what if, what if someone in history had gone through death and the evidence of eyewitnesses had recorded it? That's, what, that's what's been claimed here in these uh, Gospel accounts. And what if that same resurrected person said that he could bring us through death too? That's exactly what Jesus says famously to Martha in John's Gospel. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And you can see that Luke goes to such lengths to establish this physical resurrection of Jesus in his accounts, and his account, and he wants us to have certainty. We, we, because of his account, we can share in that certainty as we face our own death. The evidence is there to investigate if we want to. Third, the physical resurrection of Jesus also means we've got a glorious hope beyond death. George Bernard Shaw wrote that heaven, as conventionally conceived, is a place so inane, so dull, so useless, so miserable, that nobody has ever ventured to describe a whole day in heaven, though plenty of people have described a day at the seaside. And if heaven is actually like this, then Bernard, Bernard Shaw's right, isn't he? Who would want to be there? I wouldn't want to be there. Uh, this conventionally conceived uh, idea of heaven as a sort of never-ending tedium of sitting on a cloud plucking a harp as some disembodied spirit, it's well established in our popular imagination, isn't it? But it's, it's very far from how the Bible actually describes heaven. The Bible describes uh, the dwelling of God, heaven coming actually down to this earth in the future. It describes this earth and the universe being recreated, physically, a, a new creation, no less. And elsewhere in the New Testament, uh, Paul says that the resurrected bodies of, of uh, uh, believers in Christ will be like Christ's resurrected body. Jesus has flesh and bones, he has a body, he eats fish. Eternal life will be physical. Better than that, it will be physical, but without all the bad parts that we experience in this life, the suffering, the grief, and the tears. 
In fact, even better than that, the Apostle Paul describes the earthly body being transformed from one um, of dishonour and weakness to one that will be glorious and powerful. And these are just sort of hints at what the resurrection body will be like. Just think about it. You have five basic senses now. Who knows? You might have 55 or 555 senses, physical senses, in eternity. You'll be able to do extraordinary things. Do you suffer from uh, FOMO, I wonder? It stands for fear of missing out. Uh, In a secular and purely material world, FOMO, I think, is a real thing. You have to believe that this life is all there is. You've only got one chance. You've got to experience all you can, earn as much money as you can, have the perfect relationship or relationships, do all you can to achieve something before your time runs out. And what if you don't get to do all those things or find that perfect relationship or achieve that success that you were wanting? It's crushing, it's exhausting. But the Christian hope of resurrection means you're never going to miss out on any of these things. The best experience, the best job, the best marriage, the best relationship are but a shadow of what awaits you in the new creation. Paul writes that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. You're never going to miss out. Finally, the physical resurrection of Jesus means that politics actually matters too. Again, secularism says that only the physical is real. If you're a consistently secular person, you have to admit that at at the base, human beings are ultimately just material matter, like other animals, plants, and rocks. Now, this isn't a very promising foundation on which to build human rights, to fight injustice, and to champion the cause of the poor and the oppressed. But Christianity claims that there's actually more to human life than the merely physical it claims that there is actually an ultimate goodness and value to our physical world because it was created, first of all, by a perfectly good God. And that that perfectly good God provided further proof of how much he values the physical creation by entering into it, dying for it and rising to a new life, which, did you notice, is still physical after the resurrection. And if the eternal reality of Jesus and this world is physical, that must mean that our present physical life must matter to God if if the physical matters in eternity. That means there's a real and eternal foundation for Christians to fight for justice, equality, freedom and human flourishing in our politics now. Now, the church and Christians are utterly incapable of creating heaven on earth. No one needs any persuading of that. Only God can do that, and he's promised to do it perfectly in the future, in this future new creation that I've spoken of. But the physical resurrection of Jesus means that Christians do have a mandate now to begin living out the goodness of that future resurrection creation now. 
however imperfectly. So as we close, the physical resurrection of Jesus, it proves that our sins are paid for, it shows us that we can actually have a real hope in the face of death, that there's a glorious, not a boring future beyond death, and that actually striving for justice and goodness in the present really matters. Let's pray as we close. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Heavenly Father, we pray that we, we would know the physical risen Lord Jesus Christ ourselves and know the peace of his forgiveness, his peace in the face of our own death, and his power, his resurrection power in the present to fight for goodness and justice. And we pray this in his name. Amen.